Please join with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you this day grateful for your presence in our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's not the Energizer Bunny. We're grateful that we can come and just sit at your feet and hear from your word how we might live our lives here in the 21st century amidst a pandemic and polarized culture and that we can have hope for tomorrow. Take our minds now, think through them. Take my lips and speak through them. Take our wills and bend them to your own and take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you and for your son, Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray, amen. Well, the senior warden reported that the membership roles were 120 confirmed members in good standing. The church hadn't been able to procure a building, so they were still meeting in a second-floor rented space. There was a hall that could hold 120 people, and they had been a lot of discussion about how they would fill the empty uh, vestry slot that had been vacated. But besides that, not much had happened recently. The task for these 120 of reaching the community seemed absolutely beyond their reach. They didn't have any money, so to speak. And they, these 120 living in a city of 120,000 at the time, the meeting space existed a culture that had very little room or tolerance for their message. Sound familiar? I don't know if you've ever experienced a church like that, but this is how it was. And the only church that existed at the time of Acts chapter 2, which Carol read for us. When Jesus ascended in the book of Acts, there were only 120 believers in Jerusalem. That's it. 120. Acts 115. They believed that Jesus had died. They believed Jesus had rose again. They had seen him ascend. But for the past... 10 days, they had huddled up, waiting for what Jesus had promised them. Nothing was happening among them, however, during those 10 days that would make any difference to the outside world. But they remembered this promised event that Jesus had spoken to them about, that when they would be baptized by the Holy Spirit, and they would go forth from there and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, you know, in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, Acts 1.8. So now, 10 days after Jesus had ascended into heaven, 50 days since his resurrection, there was a Jewish festival called Pentecost. It had been one of the great Jewish feasts. It was the feast where... People gathered to celebrate the beginning of the harvest and to celebrate the Ten Commandments. Moses, coming down from Mount Sinai, bringing the Ten Commandments to his people. The law had been revealed. And so there were thousands of people in Jerusalem at this time. Verse 5, now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And it was on this Pentecost feast, particularly, the day of Pentecost, we call it now. The Holy Spirit was poured out on the first Christian believers, and after that, things would never be the same for them, for us, 
Tom and Mary, and beyond. And what we see in this is three great truths. There's a mighty rushy wind, there's great balls of fire, and there's empowerment for ministry. Let's look at these. If you turn your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 2, you can also find it if you're a guest with it in the back of your bulletin. Or you can look it up on your device, ESV Bible, your app. First, we have a mighty rushing wind. When the day of Pentecost arrived, verse 1, and they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. In Hebrew, that word wind, okay, is the word ruach. You've got to clear your throat. I'm sorry when you say that. It kind of sounds rude. Ruach, you know. That's, English is a lazy language. The, everybody else thinks we're lazy, you know. But when you speak other languages, you've got to be very intentional, and especially in Hebrew. The sound of the wind is pretty much like the sound of breath. It's only lasts, it's louder and it lasts longer. And the ancients would consider uh, the very thought of wind was like breath on a large scale. So they use that word ruach for both. And we've seen this before in the Bible. At the very beginning in Genesis chapter 1, God created humanity, Adam, which means humanity, in a lifeless body. I want you to imagine that. God creates humanity and he's a, a lifeless corpse just laying there. And God ruached on him. And life came into his body. Life. He breathed on him. He became the first living being. Jesus, after the resurrection, to illustrate this event that, that Carol read for us in Acts chapter 2, breathed on his disciples and said, receive the Holy Spirit. You, you, had, to, you had to think, what, what, this is weird. Jesus was explaining to them what would happen at Pentecost. And he says, guys, it's going to be like this. I'm going to ascend to my Father in heaven, but when I do, I'm going to breathe my life into you. Like that. And it sounded like a mighty rushing wind. So they got that in the back of their mind. They're like, okay, get it, Jesus. Fine. It's getting kind of weird on me. But now they immediately associate this wind with that wind. And it's, they put two and two together, and it's the fulfillment of the promise. Genesis 2, God breathed life into Adam. Acts 2, God ruached life into his church. Genesis 2, there was a lifeless body. Acts 2, there was a lifeless church body. Like Adam, it was organized, the church, but it was lifeless. It remained behind closed doors and had any impact in the world around them. But now the king upon his throne breathes life upon them with a gale force wind and blew his new life into these people. These 120 people would never be the same. Now, of course, we've heard read over the past couple months, we even heard last week, Jesus sending the disciples out on mission saying, I'll be with you. And the Holy Spirit blessed them and used them and worked in and through them. They would not have been able to accomplish what they accomplished without the Holy Spirit. And throughout the Old Testament, certain individuals 
were anointed for specific tasks before Pentecost, and it would have been something similar, but this is something new. We'd, nobody had ever seen this before. The Holy Spirit was not only with them, but in them. When the Spirit of God is present, there is wind, as you're going to see in a second, there is fire, meaning excitement, energy, life, because God has ruached it into being. Two, we see great balls of fire, and that's not just a Jerry Lee Lewis song. Verse three, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Imagine that. These 120 people hiding, right, waiting upon the promise. And this great balls of fire come down. And you're probably thinking, if, just put yourself in their shoes. Okay, I, I'm a nobody. I just believe it, right? And I'm following along, and this is cool. But now all the room is filled with these fireballs. But we've seen this before. In the Bible. Exodus chapter 3. God said to Moses through a burning bush. I am who I am. And Moses realized that he was in the presence of God. The fire didn't depend on that bush. It was a self-sustaining fire. And the fire in which God made his presence known never went out as he spoke with Moses. God has life in himself. He depends upon nothing for his own existence. And when he revealed himself to Moses, he chose to make himself known through a burning bush which didn't be consumed. And it must have been awesome. Now on the day of Pentecost, God gave a similar sign with tongues of fire descending upon each and every one of these 120 disciples. That must have been awesome. So when God appeared to Moses, he was a believing man whose life was going nowhere. He had built a successful life in Egypt and then after some trouble left the country, settled down into a semi-retired life out in the desert. And his life was counting for very little to advance the kingdom purposes of God in the world. And God came to him in this fire and gives him a new commission. Moses, I have something for you to do. I have heard the voice of my people suffering in Egypt, and I want you to go speak to Pharaoh. And I want you to lead them out, all for my glory and for the safety and encouragement of my people So God called this man out of an aimless retirement and gave him a ministry that turned out for the glory of God. Before the day of Pentecost, the church was much like Moses in that desert. It consisted of a group of believing people who enjoyed their prayer meeting, spent a great deal of time meeting and spent a great deal of time discussing how to elect their next leaders. But nothing was happening through them to advance God's kingdom in the world. Then God's fire came down. And I want you to picture this if we're there. If you're in this room, these fireballs come down. 
You don't hear Jerry Lee Lewis playing the keyboard. You know, it's just a mighty rushing wind and fire coming down. And you're thinking, well, I guess it's going to land on Peter or James or John, one of the leaders, because that's what God's always done. It's just given it to certain leaders. But then all of a sudden, one comes and rests upon you and fills you. And you remember with astonishment the words of your Savior who said, I will be with you always. He's commissioning every believer to advance the kingdom for his glory. It's part of the Jesus movement, which has been going on now for 2,000 years. To go forth and be a blessing and to tell others why this change has happened in our lives. God's fire doesn't rest on just some individuals for certain tasks anymore. It rests on every single person who calls upon the name of the Lord. Who place their trust in the work of Jesus Christ alone. And suddenly, what's the result? Well, they needed this result for this time. All of a sudden, they began to speak languages that they never took a class for. Wouldn't that be great? You know, all of a sudden, you sit in Spanish, A, 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 A. Thank you, Jesus. You know, I wish that happened to me. Didn't. But the reality is we have been here before. They're able to speak languages to communicate the good news of Jesus. Well, in Genesis 11, it was the exact opposite. Humanity was rebelling against God in Genesis, and they were building a tower in Shinar. To them was a skyscraper in honor of them. And to slow the hum momentum of humanity's godless kingdom, he introduced confusion. And all of a sudden, everybody who was working on that tower all throughout Shinar began to speak different languages. Imagine you're working on this project and you're, all of a sudden you're listening to your coworker who spoken with a southern accent is now speaking Mandarin or German or French or Swahili. So what happens is the world scattered north, south, east, and west all over the ancient world because they couldn't understand each other. But this day of Pentecost is the exact opposite of that. People from every nation under heaven had gathered in Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost. And when the Holy Spirit fell upon these 120, they found themselves to speak all those language. They were able to speak Parthian, Mede, Elamite, Mesopotamian, Judean, Cappadocian, Pontiff, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylian, and even Latin. And they never took a class. These rednecks from Galilee were able to speak fluent Latin. My goodness. You know, at Babel, the, the judgments were coming from God and led to their confusion. But at Pentecost, the languages were given to be a blessing. Because people could understand it. And so it was kind of humorous, as the world always does. There's a lot of people going, wow, they're speaking about the mighty works of God, meaning the gospel. But then there's always the skeptics that says, they're drunk. They're filled with really good stuff. And Peter stands up, and he's at the temple at this time, and it says, it's 9 o'clock in the morning. They're not drunk. 
This is the fulfillment of what Joel prophesied. Verse 17, in the last days, God says, it declares that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and daughters shall proclaim. That's what prophesy means. Proclaim. And your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. Oh, this is what this is about. And so you get to the end of the chapter in verse 38. Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. With the result, verse 41, that 3,000 were added to that, 41, 3,000 were added that day to the church. So the church went from 120 to 3,120 in one day. That's amazing. So what does this matter for us today? And what does this matter as we honor Tom and Mary Miller? Well, number one, every single one of us in Christ Jesus is empowered for ministry. Paul writes about this in 1 Corinthians 12. To each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And you read down to 12, verse 12 in 1 Corinthians. He says, for just as the body is the one, the one is the whole body. That the hand cannot say to the eye, I have no need of you. That every single one of us have gifts to be used and to be a blessing to the world and to be a blessing in the church and to go forth from here using our gifts. So this is an end to clericalism. You know, this is the death of it. Now we need ordained ministers. Please don't fire me. We need quality control so that what you get on Sundays is good stuff. We shouldn't just have anybody up here. I'm not against that, but what I'm telling you that this is the death of clericalism, your sons and your daughters shall proclaim. You know, that from this time on, everybody is equal at the foot of the cross. And we all go forth in the power of the Spirit. So therefore, as the body functions, God is glorified and we see God move. And we're compelled to go out in word and deed. That's the word that Paul says. He says, for the love of Christ compels us in 2 Corinthians. Therefore, those who live should no longer live for themselves, but unto him who died for them. And we go forth with deed and word. Deeds to be a blessing, and we tell, as God gives us opportunity, others about this. So if we think about Christ Church as the body of Christ, unfortunately, I'm the mouth, okay? <laughs> you know, I'm not a good-looking one, but for, you know, okay, I'll take it, all right? All right, I'm the mouth, and we equip the saints for the work of ministry, okay? So if the mouth doesn't have feet as you guys leave from here, this message isn't going anywhere. It just stays in this room. So we just start off being a blessing to our neighbors. Love people. Be intentional. 
Ask, tell your coworker, hey, I'm going out for a cup of coffee. Can I get you one? No. Well, come back with an iced tea instead. Do something nice. Be a blessing to people. Don't be that weird guy, you know, that believes in Jesus in the office. Just love people. And people say, there's something different about you. Yeah. You want to talk about it? You know? The reality is we all have the power that we need to accomplish this deed in ministry where we live, where we work, and where we play. And I can tell you with confidence that those two good-looking people right there in that picture up front of the church did just that. They did that in my life, they did that in their family's life, and they did that in your life. Deed and word. I can't tell you how many times over the past year when somebody went through a crisis, Tom and Mary Miller showed up their ass. Just to be present. Not necessarily to say anything, just to be present at first. And then just spoke the love of God into people's lives as they got opportunity. We'll talk more about them in a little bit. But I think the body of Christ in America is more like, if you take an illustration of it, like Johnny Erickson Tata. Johnny Erickson dove into the Chesapeake Bay at age 19 and broke her neck. I think she's been a quadriplegic now since for 50 years, 60 years now. And for the first year, she really wrestled with, Lord, why did this happen to me? Why didn't I dive on the other side of the dock? Help me. And then she came to realize that God could use this. And she just started to tell people about the reality of God in her life, even in the midst of a wheelchair, and her ministry just exploded all over the world. And I think that's the American church. The church has a head, but there's times because the feet don't go anywhere and the hands don't go anywhere, and, and it, it's not as functioning as it ought to be. So therefore, my friends, each and every one of you have a gift. And it's not a matter of whether you have the Holy Spirit as you place your trust in Jesus Christ. The question is, does the Holy Spirit have you to be used wherever you are found for His honor and glory? Because the story of Acts is our story. It's Tom and Mary's story. Because we're participating in God's story. The descent of the Spirit on the apostles is really the birth story of who we all are in Jesus Christ. While we think of our lives in terms of our birth, our upbringing, our education, our families, our line of work, and so on, there's another story that's happening parallel to these events. Actually, it's woven in all through all those things. And that is the interwoven story of the descent of the Holy Spirit upon all those who have fully yielded their lives to Jesus Christ. And if we will do just that, you know, just because we're forgetful people, we remind ourselves we have the Holy Spirit and relinquish ourselves to Him, God will give us a peace that truly does surpass all understanding and God can use us in mighty ways through that mighty rushing wind and the fire that's within each and every one of us as we follow him, just like Tom and Mary did. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the blessing that it is to be your people and to gather together. 
And we just ask, Lord, you would fill each and every one of us. We don't have to have it all together because you do, Lord Jesus Christ. And it's not the quality of our faith, it's the object of our faith that truly matters. And so, Lord, we do surrender it to you today. We do ask that you would transform us into your likeness and that we would be like those first followers who devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread and the prayers, and that we would know that peace and that joy and that change that happens to all who follow you. And that would be a reality in our lives today, 2,000 years later, for in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.